Good uh, morning again. So good to see all of you. Uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, whether you're visiting, whether this is your first time back in over a year, uh, it is so good to see you. And we are so glad that you are here with us. Well, our passage uh, this morning, our scripture is going to be from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, as we continue our way through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn with me. If not, you can just look at me. Verse 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So in case uh, you didn't catch it by now, today we're going to talk politics. And by a quick show of hands, how many of you, actually, you don't need to raise your hands, <laughs> but how many of you just felt a little uncomfortable the moment I said, we're going to talk politics? Maybe some of you are at home thinking to yourself, ooh, it's a good thing I stay home today. <laughs> but if you felt a little uncomfortable, if you felt a, lot of, a little awkward, that's okay. Because I did too, a lot. But it is kind of interesting. We stop to think about the fact that we can talk about things like sin and death. We can talk about heaven and hell, spirits and demons, judgment and wrath. We can talk about things like that anytime, any day, but it's hard to talk about politics. And understandably so, for, for better and for worse. Perhaps there's no other topic in our climate today that is, leads to more tension, more division, both outside the church and even within the church, than this topic of politics. Now my hope and my prayer is that this morning, as we dive into this passage, that we would begin to see that even this topic is not something we should fear nor should it be something we avoid, but rather that it's something that can lead us into deeper unity, spiritual growth, and perhaps even give us greater clarity when it comes to our purpose and our direction. Now, before we dive into this, we have to remember the context in which Paul is writing this section. 
that for the majority of his letter, chapters 1 through 11, he spent a big chunk of that informing us, educating us of what God has done for us through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are sinners saved by grace through faith, reconciled to God, fully loved, fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully adopted as sons and daughters, filled, empowered, gifted by the Holy Spirit. Kind of chapters 1 through 11 in a nutshell. Paul does a way better job of explaining it. But then in chapter 12, he says, as a result of all that, our response, the proper response, is to live this one life, the only one we get, to live it as a living sacrifice. That our offering to God, our worship to him is more than the four songs we sing every Sunday. It's more than our financial contributions, but it's every single thought. It's every single word. It's every single action. It's us bringing that before God and say, God, this is my offering. This is my worship to you. And out of that kind of sacrifice comes an all-out commitment to the church. That we are committed to one another, no longer seeing ourselves as individuals or couples or a family of three or four or five or six, but rather as invaluable members of one body. And thus loving, appreciating, valuing, needing one another for true community for spiritual growth and spiritual effectiveness. And because we are one body, the body of Christ, with Christ as our head, we're to love people the way that he loves people, even our enemies, even those who offend us, those who oppress us, as Pastor Nick talked about last week. Now, obviously, this is so much easier said than done. It's a process. That's why Paul puts it in chapters 12, because you got to, Get chapters 1 through 11 first. got to understand that, embrace that, experience that, so that you can live out chapter 12. But I'll say this. If we can get chapter 12 right, chapter 13 is pretty easy. Because in our passage this morning, what Paul says in chapters 13, 1 through 7, he says, be subject to your governing authorities. Submit to them. And this is profound when you think about the historical context that Paul is saying this. If you were with us last week, you might remember Pastor Nick talking about the, 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 the circumstances that the first century early church in Rome faced, the atrocious and vile forms of persecution and oppression at the hands of the Roman government and Emperor Nero. Yet in light of that reality, in light of what they faced and what they would face, he says, be subject to them. Submit to your governing authorities. Now, this word submit means to willingly place yourself under the authority of someone else. To elevate them in terms of honor and respect. And this is profound, what Paul is saying, in light of what they're facing. But the reason that Paul provides, he says the reason we are to submit to them has nothing to do with who they are, what they do, how they lead, and everything to do with who God is and what God has done. That it's God who has established the system of human authority for our good. 
in order for humanity to thrive and prosper to the best of our ability in light of our sinfulness and brokenness. And thus there is an inherent value in things like kingdoms and government, law and order, any kind of system that generally rewards what is right and punishes what is wrong. Now for some of us, as soon as we hear these kinds of passages or read something like this, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, what about bad leaders? What about bad government? Bad laws? What about broken, unjust systems and structures? Because when you consider the kinds of injustices, the kinds of evils that have been committed throughout history all over the world that continue to exist today, it's, it's hard not to feel suspicious to feel skeptical. And thus, it's important to note that the word submit does not mean to obey no matter what. The word submit carries the general idea of obedience, but it doesn't mean that we always have to agree. It doesn't mean we have to do what we're told no matter what. Because what we see in Scripture, there are examples, there are moments, instances, where various individuals had to disagree and disobey with human authority in order to obey God. That whenever there's a contradiction between following God and following human authority, that God takes precedence. A couple examples would be uh, Exodus chapter 1, the Hebrew midwives. Right? Pharaoh commands them to murder every Hebrew boy that is born. But the scripture tells us that because they fear God more than man, they disobeyed that order and God blessed them for it. In Daniel chapter 6, a decree is passed in Babylon. A thir for 30 days, nobody is allowed to pray to anyone or anything other than the king, King Darius. As soon as Daniel hears this, the first thing he does is he drops to his knees and he prays to God. Acts chapter 4, the apostles Peter and John, they are commanded by the Sanhedrin, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about them. Stop telling people about them. Their response is, well, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or listen to him? So they go back to the church. They tell the other believers what they were just ordered to do. And the church, they pray that God would give them the boldness to talk about Jesus more, which is exactly what they did. So there are moments in Scripture, examples, where one may need to disobey human authority, disagree with human authority in order to obey God. But the fact that those examples are in Scripture makes what Paul is saying that much more powerful and that much more profound. Right? There was ever a moment for Paul to use the it's okay not to obey card. It would have been right then to this church in Rome under Emperor Nero. But he says, submit to them. Submit to your governing authorities. Which tells us that Paul isn't so much focused upon what to do and what not to do as he is on the condition of their hearts. What he's saying is that it's okay to disagree, it's okay to disobey at times, but the one thing we're called to do no matter what is to 
have an attitude of humility. That regardless of what we do, we can have a posture of humility. And when you step back to to what he's saying, in light of everything he said so far, he's saying because of who we were and all that God has done, we can live this life as a living sacrifice. Because of who we were and all that he has done, we can commit to one another, the church. Because of who we were and all that he has done, we can love our enemies. Because of who we were and all that he has done, we can submit to our authority. We can be respectful. We can be reverent, regardless of who our leaders are. Now, I think it's important that we do make a distinction between submission and oppression. Because we know that passages like this have been used throughout history to justify and rationalize all kinds of injustices. Submission is something we do voluntarily, something we do willingly, joyfully. Oppression is something that we force upon others, whether through power, fear, manipulation. Oppression is something we do to someone else. Submission is something we do for someone else. Oppression is something that keeps people down, pushes them down, keeps them down, Submission is choosing to elevate others up. Jesus, submitted to the Father, came in humility to liberate the oppressed, to set the captives free, spiritually, physically, emotionally, materially. And we are called to do the same. And thus, as we consider what Paul is saying here, the focus is not on what other people need to do, The focus is on what God is inviting us to do. Now imagine you are a part of this first century church in Rome, hearing this section of the letter being read aloud for the very first time. You can imagine the kind of questions that would immediately rise to the surface after every single statement, every single sentence. Be subject to the governing authorities. What authorities? All of them? Even Nero, his minions, his armed guards, the tax collectors, the shady ones too? Whoever rebels against authority rebels against what God has instituted. Whoever rebels? Well, what about the Hebrew midwives? What about Daniel? What about Peter? What about John? What about the early church? Do what is right, and you will be commended. How do we know what's right? What is the right thing to do? What if doing right gets us punished and doing wrong gets us commended? Give to everyone what you owe them. Taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue, respect, respect, honor, honor. Who determines how much we owe? How much respect, how much honor? And all these questions would be valid, legitimate questions that one may be asking, that Paul gives zero answers to. And it's not like they could just jump onto a Zoom meeting real quick, call up Paul and have him clarify and expound on this section. 
And that's what we see is Paul is not writing this to provide answers. He's writing this to get them to consider the question. And they could either avoid this section, they can ignore it, they can go off by themselves and try to answer that for themselves, just between them and God. Or they could come together and they can discern these things together. Pray about them together. Seek the Holy Spirit together. And if they're crazy enough, if they're daring enough, audacious enough, they can even talk about these things together. Come to agreements together. Agree to disagree on some things together. Make decisions together. Ultimately, follow the Holy Spirit together. And as this letter would get passed on from church to church, city to city, generation to generation, every church would respond to this differently in their own unique, different way, applying this passage to their context to their setting, to their situation in light of their circumstances. Yet regardless of how different it may look, the one thing that they would do, the one thing that they all could do and should do is to discern together in the posture of humility. And the same needs to be true for us today. Because of who we are, because what God has done, we have a vital role to play within the structure and the systems that we've been given to submit and to serve the good of others. Scriptures tell us that on the night that Jesus would be arrested, eventually beaten, tortured, and crucified, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would pray. And he would challenge his disciples to pray with him. To pray that the Spirit would give them the strength and the courage to obey human authority for the greater good, regardless of the cost. In Acts chapter 4, when the church was ordered to stop talking about Jesus, they got together and they prayed that the Spirit would give them the strength and the courage to disobey human authority for the greater good, regardless of the cost. And thus the question for us is not which one is right, but rather which one when. In other words, what is God calling us to do today in our context for the greater good. And there is an answer to that question that we are called to discern together. It may be messy and hard. It may be awkward and uncomfortable. But we cannot be afraid to approach it, nor can we afford to avoid it. Rather, in humility, we can come together and discern together what God is calling us to do, 
how to submit and serve the good of those around us. So as we close our, our time here this morning, let us ask the Spirit, invite the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to go before us, to give us the humility, to give us the courage, the boldness, the fearlessness to follow him in everything and to be reminded that he is the one who's leading us. He is the one who's guiding us. He is the one who will help us do what it is that the, what God is calling us to do, even when it comes to politics. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we ask for more of your spirit to lead us, to guide us, to go before us. And when we consider the, the topic of politics, when we consider those who are in authority, when we consider the structures and the systems that you have placed us under, that you have given to us and entrusted us with, God, I pray that you would lead us. That even though it has the potential to lead to so much hurt, so much tension, so much division, that you would give us the humility and the courage to, to not be afraid. But to seek you. To hear from you. To discern through one another. To be able to talk with one another. Pray with one another that we can be your hands, your feet, that we can be your body here on earth in this city, in this community. And we can love others the way you love them. That we can do whatever it is you want us to do. We can say whatever it is you want us to say. But that we would be your church here today in this city, in this community. Fulfilling your plan, your purpose. So God, we need you to lead us, to empower us, to strengthen us, and to use us for your glory, God. We thank you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen.